Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the BritFlix.com podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the BritFlix.com podcast. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Fright Fest preview special. And today I've got with me John Shackleton. Hello, John. Hi there. And uh, do you want to tell us what film we're talking about? Yeah, my film's called The Sleeping Room. And tell us what your role was on the film. Wow, well... um, I was going to say, it's a long list, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's the longest list yet for me on a film. Um, I am one of the writers, um, one of the producers and the director... Also, the uh, production company. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it's good that you cover all those bases because, as far as this interview goes, you'll, you'll be uh, you'll be more than equipped. I should be. I hope so. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I've seen the film, but right. um, but I, but uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean that I have to give the synopsis. So, if you can give us a brief synopsis of the film. Sure. It's billed as um, a, a psychological tale of Victorian revenge set in present-day Brighton. And it's essentially the story of a call girl in Brighton, a young teenage call girl, who's trying to find out the truth behind her dark family's past. Um, she visits a client in a big Georgian house, and together they find a, a hidden chamber, which is known as a sleeping room. They realise that the house used to be a, a brothel back in Victorian days. And uh, entering the chamber, they seem to disturb something from the past which um, seems to follow her home and starts to sort of infiltrate her psyche throughout the film. And um, before you know it, there's there's something that's taken a hold of her and is uh, hell-bent on seeking its revenge. And uh, nobody gets away until this score from the past is is settled. So uh, it's it's... It goes quite dark, <laughs> dark and twisted indeed. towards the end, which is the way we like them. <laughs> the way we like them. Now, <laughs> as as a crude measure, I've I've I'm saying that fifty fifty is equal parts scares to gore. What would yeah. what would be the ratio for this movie, or or how else would you describe? Um, I think there's a lot of intrigue going on on top of the uh, uh, the, the scares. The gore is quite minimal. There is some gore, um, but we're hoping for sort of more shocking, twisted moments that you don't see coming over um, out-and-out scares, yeah. And when and where is it showing at Fryfest? It's on Discovery Screen 2, Saturday the 23rd at 3.30. Cool. Um, Right then, so what I wanted to do was just talk through um, the process of making it, and given you were also one of the co-writers on it, what, what was the and it's it's a really it's a really interesting tale. What what, what compelled you to write this screenplay? Um, well, originally we'd optioned the screenplay from uh, a writer called Ross Jamieson in Brighton, so he had experiences that inspired the original film. He, he's had a few supernatural 
um, occurrences in Brighton. But uh, on top of that, he actually lived in a house and within it they found this hidden room and with no windows, and which was the resting area for prostitutes back in the day. And they realised that the house they were, they were living in um, used to be a brothel a long time ago. So on more research for him, he, he found that that was quite commonplace throughout Brighton, and Brighton's got quite a, uh, a dark history, and combined with the sort of atmosphere of Brighton with its, its Victoriano and its sort of stunning seascapes and mist that rolls in around the pier and so on, I think he just got really inspired by that, and it became a, a real passion project for him to, to write something in his hometown. Um, we optioned the screenplay, and um, yeah, I mean, it was a, a very atmospheric tale, um, and we just wanted to go bigger on the, the horror factor um, and really make it a film that stands up on its own two feet. I think that the central character was quite clearly drawn, and there were some really lovely visual elements in there. There's yeah. a, a Victorian mutoscope, which, for those that don't know, is a, a, a what the butler saw type um, flip book device and that holds some of the, the, the secrets to the past and then obviously the, the sleeping room itself and all the dark secrets that it holds I just thought there's some really unique and original elements to it um, but we wanted to just ramp up the, the core drama and story behind it so um, I worked with another writer Alex Chandon who I met doing these shortcuts to hell competition at Fright Fest last year mm-hmm. and um, initially I was just I was producing the film as I'd optioned the screenplay and, and speaking to Alex, um, I was speaking to him with a view to possibly him directing it, but um, it wasn't really for him, but then he came back with some notes and then some more notes, and then <laughs> I was inspired, and then before we knew it, we, were, we rattled through, I don't know, five or six drafts in the space of two or three weeks. It was quite intense, but great fun. And, um, yeah, so before we knew it, we were, we were all writing and taking the film in different directions, and then eventually it was suggested by my producer, Gareth Davies, that um, maybe I was to direct the film. <laughs> and, um, I, yeah, it suddenly struck me as a logical thing to do. And uh, then I made it my own and found my own story, my own, my own path through the film, if you like, that I felt most comfortable with, that I thought we might be able to deliver on a teeny-weeny budget. And, um, yeah, that's, that's how it came to be, really. When you, when you, when you, you describe it as ramp, ramping it up the horror and stuff, what, what, were, what were some of the challenges in the writing stage for you then? Um, well, there, there were some characters that were kind of uh, sidelined or made only small appearances in the original screenplay, such as the, when people have seen it, they'll understand that the character of Glennie, who um, he, he appeared at the start of the film and never came back. He never had a, a role within it. So um, we wanted somebody for her to talk to, for, for Blue, the central character, to talk to, and a friend and a confidant sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then there were other characters in there. We, in the original screenplay, we had a clairvoyant-type character, which is the staple of the haunted house, right? And we just wanted to do something a little bit different. So, um, you know, we, we've got the same uh, role fulfilled within there, but with a completely different take, who's... You know, he's kind of uh, a crazy stoner DJ character looking for somewhere to host uh, an illegal party sort of thing. So um, we worked on the characterizations, we worked on the backstory, and then we wanted to make it really build towards um, a a big, satisfying, climactic end. And, um, yeah, I I hope we achieved that. Time will tell. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, and, and how did it work between the three of you then? How did, that, how, how did you balance the sort of, I guess, the egos and the, and the way people wanted to take it? Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, as I say, I think I had to find a film that I was comfortable to direct. Yeah. So um, possibly I could be accused of, uh, of a railroading the screenplay <laughs> in certain ways. So I don't believe that it, it's, um, it, it serves the original intent of the original writer and Alex Chandon is known for much more gore. Had he been directing it, it would have been very different again. Yeah, yeah, so sure. I had to find my path. Um, so everybody's input has, has taken it somewhere a little bit different, um, but ultimately I just had to kind of take charge of it in order to make it happen. So three very separate camps on the writing. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they say that, don't they, about co-writing anyway, that, that somebody has to have a veto. It can't be a, a committee thing or else you'll never... Yes, yes. And I found that a lot with my work as well. You know, the, the sort of writing by committee um, doesn't tend to work. Somebody has to uh, ultimately be the, the, the author of the piece um, just to try and get somebody's specific voice and take to, to um, bring you through the film. Indeed, indeed. Now, what, you, you mentioned that you're working to a kind of a limited budget. Yes. Um, so in pre-production for, for this, once you'd sort of once you were happy with the script to move forward with, what, what were the aspects of the shoot that seemed, I don't know, the, the, the greatest challenge or even almost insurmountable? And then, and then what were the breaks you got when you were making it to make that work? Yeah, it, it seemed impossible. It was... Um, <laughs> Just impossible then? It did, it, absolutely. I mean, luckily, um, Gareth Davies took hold of the uh, producing reins and when we, we did our previous film, Panic Button, we set some rules for ourselves that everything had to be five minutes from the office, five minutes from unit base, mm. and it was. Ultimately, we had um, a set directly over the road from us and a post-production company around the corner and everything worked out really well. Mm. With this one... After a first visit to Brighton, I, d I didn't know Brighton at all, but um, we realised that we absolutely had to shoot it there. So we tried to stay light on our feet, and Gareth turned up in Brighton probably only four weeks, possibly five at a push, before we started filming. Him and his backpack and a laptop off the train. Uh, right, how do we begin? <laughs> and, and he found an amazing sort of location facilities company who set him up with an office and then we started crewing up um, lo as locally as possible and using the film school and using all the contacts we had so we, ha we only had a core crew coming from London ourselves um, and our cast and then everybody else was was crewed up locally so initially it was like we had no idea if we could meet any of the ridiculous um, dates that we'd set for ourselves on the, the shoestring budget that we had in place, but we were just going for it. And uh, we had so much good luck on our side, and Brighton was a very friendly, hospitable place to shoot, and we found an amazing team. Um, the, the biggest problem that I thought this is not going to happen is that the script originally um, for this Georgian house was very specific. It was almost like it was written with a house in mind. Yeah. It had um, uh, the, the old... Um, lift shaft in there, and um, it had all these hidden rooms, and and it was it was it was very specifically and precisely drawn out. Um, and finding something like that was nigh on impossible. And then once we did find something that we thought was amazing, um, it turned out to be very difficult to to film in there, and it only had sort of forty percent of the elements that we needed. Right. So um, my first recce on the number one location that we could shoot in. 
remember walking away thinking, well, we, we can't do it. It just doesn't have what we need. Um, and then that night I really thought it through and started doing some little drawings and thought, actually, if we put a fake wall there and if we built a little set somewhere else, um, of course we can do it. This, this is the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we constructed um, a couple of rooms and the sleeping room itself within another building and then we found the the lift shaft which was very important to me visually for the film Mm. um just it's it's just a very striking and again an atmospheric thing that came from the original version of the screenplay i had to keep it and we, we found everything in the same square so in one building we had the lift shaft in another building we had the main rooms and the exterior of the house and then a few doors down we had a green room a production office hair and makeup and then the set space to build the sleeping room itself. So I talk about good luck. It was just incredible. Um, and, and once all those elements were in place, um, we were just short of our leading male <laughs> a week before we were filming, and then we knew everything would be okay. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. So five minutes from location base could be a new dogma, couldn't it? Yeah, well, as I say, it worked for us in the past and it kind of worked for us again, but um, just different when your location base isn't somewhere that you're familiar with. You need local knowledge. Um, That's the, yeah, we we found that. I mean, I think, I mean, talking about the lift shaft doesn't doesn't act as any kind of spoiler. I think think visually and and tonally, it kind of speaks to the kind of going backwards and forwards in time that the story does. You know, the, the, the mechanistic side of it is a complete throwback, it, but set in a modern day, really, mm. really helps, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Victoriana aspects of it, I mean, it's just visually really striking in, in Brighton anyway. And to me, that was all part of it. You know, you've got the sort of faded grandeur and, and the, the, the rusty old ironwork and, um, and, and the, the mechanical devices as well. It was another mechanical device because mm. the, the mutoscope's one of those as well. And um, just visually and thematically, it seemed to tie in very well to the film. So I knew we were onto a winner by by having that. I mean, the mutoscope, you really you really do sort of, you literally go inside it, don't you, really, for what you show visually? Yes, um, yes. I mean, that, that's really that's really quite evocative of what it is. You know, it isn't just simply us looking at the film that we're meant to look at, but it's actually the whole no, we, Yeah, we take you into the, the inner workings. I mean, the film's... The film's called The Sleeping Room, and, it, and it's, again, sort of metaphorically, you know, we're going into the, the, the mechanism of the mutoscope, we're going into Blue's dreams and psyche and, you know, what's, what's real and what's not, what's, what's, um, what's a real clue, what's a MacGuffin, you know, and, and we, we just play with things a little bit because I didn't want the film to be completely linear because um, it, it could have felt just very generic as a, as a, as a ghost story then. I was, I was serving the original elements that I just thought were, were really evocative. So, yeah, we, we, we go right into the, the inner workings of the mutoscope, and, um, yeah, it's uh, hopefully quite, quite stimulating on, on a visual sense. No, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, now, obviously, the, um, as, 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 a, as a Fright Fest veteran uh, yourself, you know that, obviously, the... the the audience at Fright Fest is as kind of as, as important as the films themselves. They've almost sort of become their own little notch in the celebra- celebrity ladder. Yeah, um, yeah. So when from what you've what you've produced now as a film, and I'm guessing you're going to be at Fright Fest, yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> we'll be we'll be presenting the film on the 23rd, and it also ties in with the Shortcuts to Hell um, competition and event. So we'll, we'll get we'll, onto that in a second, sir. Yeah. But just thinking about the audience, uh, what what are you? 
thinking about what you've done with the film, what are you most excited to share with the audience, as it were, you know, being there and seeing them respond to it? Um, well, I think the, the film is a, a little bit of a, a slow burn, let's say. Um, so before I did, they, they come along with us for the ride. I think the, the, the third act and the payoff should, uh, should be very... Uh, Satisfying, I hope, to, to that particular audience. Hmm. Um, certainly is to me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled by the film. I'm I'm really pleased with what we've achieved, and particularly in the face of such adversity, <laughs> financially and so on. So um, it's my first film as a as a director, yeah. and this this is my, my my first rung on the ladder, so to speak. So to have that platform at Fright Fest is uh, just Amazing, really, really what, pleased. What would, you, to be, what would you say has been a sort of major lesson learned for you then, in terms of that then, as a as a as a first film experience? Um, I've learned a, a, a hell of a lot from the experience, um, and and still am because as a producer, you very much you have a product, and and the product is is what you're you're selling. Hmm. But being so wrapped up in it yourself, it's quite hard to separate the three roles as the writer, the producer, the director kind of thing. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm still coming to terms with some of those things. <laughs> but um, now as, as a director, more so than ever, I'm realising how important it is to have that vision from right from the, the first reaction to the screenplay right through to what you, your first reaction when you play it on a big screen. And um, I think, yeah, just being stronger-minded to, to, to fight your corner at times because there's obviously so many variables in, in, in a film and so many compromises that you're forced to make along the way. Mm. Um, it's just uh, keeping that kind of vision alive, if you like, keeping that authorship alive from right from script through to screen. Um, and yeah, it just it makes you um, a bit tougher and, and a better collaborator for it as well because I don't have all the answers and so many of the, the great people that have come and worked on this film have brought things to it to the table that I would never have imagined and so much for the better. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it, there's, there's a fine line between being the, the great collaborator, it's like the committee thing again, mm. um, and having your vision and, and, and seeing that through. So as the producer, you are always the collaborator, but as the producer and the director, you're, you're the collaborator and the author. And just to, to retain that level of authorship, I think, is, is really important. I've realised just how important now through, through going through this process. So you've been forever asking yourself the question of how do we do this for what we've got available? And then it's like, what do, I need to achieve this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and some of it is like, you know, on the day, it's just, oh, it's that day in the shoot, and, and oh, my God, we're going to tackle this scene, and, and how on earth are we going to do it? But mm. luckily, once the, the, the production job has been done correctly and you, you're surrounded by all the right people, they all rise to that challenge. So, you know, fight scenes and so on um, intimidated me a little bit on, on the page, but when we got there, they were actually great fun to do because everyone just got stuck in and everyone loves shooting a good fight scene, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's... So I what, think, was, what was the... Give, give us an example of where sort of the, the collab... You know, listening to your collaborators, as it were, enabled you to do, do the best thing for the film. Well, obviously, you have to do that with your cast the, the, the whole time, and that's yeah. fantastic. I'm, I'm completely in awe watching them... Bring, bring the story to life and, yeah. and take the words off the page and, and taking ownership of the 
of the characters. But yeah, I mean, you know, a, a fight scene, for example, mm. um, you, you've got a very small space in which to, to choreograph something like that. Um, there's there's blood and there's there's guts involved and there's violence that has to look very credible. Um, and I think you know, yeah, you, you have an idea of, of how it should play out, and then at some point you stand back and you listen to what everybody else has to say. So the, the, we had a, a fight coordinator in there. The first AD is obviously thinking about health and safety. There's there's many restrictions on the actual property that we're filming in because it was in the first floor and it had this incredible ceiling underneath you know with a sort of uh, the, the 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 floral pattern in the middle and, and the 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 i can't think of the right word for it but the, the, the edging to it if we were to bounce on the floor upstairs any banging on the floor could crack it and it's a listed building oh very, very old building so we're having a fight scene in there where you're not allowed to bang so that that created a few challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we're shooting things on different floors. When we're looking down, sometimes we'd have a crash mat in a different room so that it wouldn't affect it. That sort of thing. So, yeah, a whole list of things that are just sent to uh, sent to test you. But it's the the buzz is finding the solution each time and then piecing it together seamlessly so that the audience is blissfully unaware of it. Now, remind us again. Then, when, when can people see the sleeping room? 3.30, Saturday the 23rd at uh, View Frightfest, yes. Brilliant, so that's Leicester Square, London. And, it is. Uh, now, your, your screening, as you've already said, is paired with uh, Shortcuts from Hell, in fact, Shortcuts from Hell 2. Yes. Um, so what can you tell us about what's going to be happening there? What's, what's included in that? Well, um, last year's competition was um, the search for uh, a really amazing, strong, short film. We had six finalists and... Uh, the winner took took some money. Um, this time we're looking for something very different. So it's been a long process where a national competition again, we filter down to 26, we interview the films that we think can make a really exciting low-budget feature film. Hmm. We found three finalists. Um, at Frightfest, the three finalists will show their short films and then we'll discuss with the audience, present how their, their short film will translate into a feature film. And then it's thrown open to the audience to vote um, and Horror Channel audiences to vote throughout August and September. And um, somebody will win and will take a minimum of £20,000 forward into development and production of the feature film with ourselves and Wildseed Studios. So it's a very, very exciting um, competition and it's, it's much bigger this year than it was last and it will hopefully lead to a new feature film being shown by those filmmakers at Frightfest next year. Okay, so, is there any, is there any name, are you allowed to give any names at this stage, or is it all about the reveal on the day? The, the, there will be a press release going out before the day. I think it's the 18th that we can announce the three finalists. Okay. Unfortunately, right now, my lips are sealed. But, um, I wouldn't yeah, want but, to spoil but, the fun. <laughs> and does... Um, does uh, the sleeping room have an official release date as yet? You know, after after the event, if people who aren't going, people listening to this who aren't going to Fright Fest, uh, when will they be able to see the film? Um, we are in talks with a distributor about taking the film out in the UK and the US in January. Okay. Um, we're we're about to start a Kickstarter campaign for the film for the P and A spend and the marketing, so okay. that we can really give it the best the best start in life um, come January. Yeah. So what we're hoping to do is do some. Uh, cast crew and investor type screenings we want to do some Q&A's get it on a small cinema release 
um, so that we can get the film onto Netflix and things like that yeah. um, when it launches in the new year. So I think people will be seeing and hearing a lot more about the film over the, the coming three months whether they like it or not. And, um, uh, yeah, so that there'll be opportunities to see it again before Christmas, before its release, I'm sure. Well, well look, John, it'd be great if you... if you, We'd welcome you back on the podcast to talk about that when you get that going. Oh, fantastic, thank you, yeah. Uh, and please keep us posted. Will do, will do, great. Well, look, thank you for your time, and uh, I look forward to... Well, hopefully I'll get a chance to meet you at Fright Fest as well. Marvellous, that'll be great. Thank you very much, Stuart. Indeed. This... Is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the Britflix.com podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the Britflix.com podcast.